Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening. Welcome to the show. Hope you guys are having a good week. Halfway through. Focusing on self-care, right? Joy, pleasure, tons of rest every single day. Make sure you're building that in. It's how you focus on your mental health. Also, just want to start the show by reminding you all when you are talking to people, Ask them how their mental health is directly, right? Instead of saying, hey, how are you? Say, how's your mental health, right? Reminding people to focus on it. We're normalizing it. We're prioritizing it. Uh, got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about some interesting facts about kissing. Uh, some of them were actually really surprising. <laughs> uh, some of them not so much. Some of them also a little disappointing. So we'll be talking about that. And then later in the show, we'll be talking about uh, sex toys in our second hour when things get a little more adult friendly. Uh, I wanted to talk about some news. God bless Amazon. I've talked a lot about how we need to not be supporting Amazon for a multitude of reasons. They're trying to unionize, which is important. And is their right? And they're getting pushback. So a lot of trouble in that way, but also new article talking about how Amazon has kept $62 million in tips that were intended for their drivers. And they don't care. God bless Amazon. Bezos has stepped down or been asked to step down. But uh, there's tons of other independent booksellers. When in doubt, if you can, go to your local independent bookseller, purchase books from them. You can also go online. A lot of them are offering curbside pickup. They can mail it to you. A lot of these smaller presses, publishers, and also indie bookstores really could use your care and support. All my favorite work, that's where you find it. The larger booksellers, which carry my books and they're legit. It's the smaller ones though, that tend to cover the kind of books I enjoy, indie publishers, indie bookstores. So support them instead of Amazon. Amazon does not need your money and they're not ethical. Um, also, homophobes. Y'all, what are y'all doing? I know there's no homophobes listening to my show. Um, so probably not as meaningful, but um, they're criticizing an episode of The Walking Dead. God bless. Let people live. Gay people exist. Whether you agree with it or not, they're there. My God. And they kiss sometimes. How is that something that we are still bothered by? The expression of romance or affection is not traumatic or toxic for anyone to see. Yes, it is okay for children to hear the word gay. It is okay for children to see gay people. It is okay for children to see gay people kiss. Two men kissing is a beautiful act of love and care. and We need to get more familiar with it. Your child themselves might be gay, but nonetheless, they're going to be living in a world where gay people exist and they need to learn how to have care, respect, and familiarity with that. So well done, Walking Dead. I'm so thankful that more and more shows are having gay characters, queer characters, trans characters, fat positive and fat characters. That's the world we wanna live in. That means we have to build it and television matters. 
Jojo, I don't know how to say her name, Siwa, Siwa. I'm not familiar with her. I know she's a big star. Uh, not only has she come out as a lesbian, but she said her girlfriend is to inspire her to come out. I love that. People need to see their role models living in healthy sexual ways to normalize that. So well done. I'm proud of her for coming out. I know a lot of people I work with that are public figures or celebrities. There's a lot of anxiety. What will happen? Will I be cast anymore? Um, will I still be seen as legitimate? Will I get the roles I want to go? Roles I want to have? Will I lose fans? Will I still get to tour? It's unfortunate that that matters. Someone's sexual identity really should not have to be part of their identity. I want to live in a world where someone's sexual identity is just their sexuality. And someone's sexuality is not what defines them. And it's not what matters. But right now, we still live in a world where people's main identity is tied to that. They're gay or straight. It's such a defining thing, and it shouldn't be. Because for a lot of people, that part of them doesn't even come into play in a social way. It just is about what they do at home or about the kind of people they hang out with sometimes. A lot of people are more fluid now. They have friends of all different kinds of orientations, and we're stepping more into fluidity. These words are holding less meaning, right? They should be open-ended starting points. Uh, this one, God bless. An 81-person French orgy was broken up for violating COVID curfew. So much to unpack in that. 81 people, how do you even make that happen? But ignoring that part, for violating COVID rules, y'all, come on, how much risk? Talk about a super spreader event, because not only are they all together, not only are they all together indoors, not are they only all together indoors for a long period of time, that many people, but they're also engaging in things that are exchanging a lot of aerosols. <laughs> God bless it. And they broke the curfew, come on. What are y'all doing? We can pass on engaging in some of these things until it's safe. People are getting a little too comfortable, and that means they're willing to take risks. Uh, and finally, Paulina Porskova, famous model from the past, still doing her thing, 55, says sexy has no expiration date and does a nude Instagram photo shoot. That's right. Got to get rid of ageism. I hate the concept of age being a, defi a defining factor for anything, but especially how we're allowed to live our lives in terms of who we date or in terms of how we express our eroticism, we are erotic at all ages. That's right, all ages. And once we become of age, we should be allowed to decide how to work with that. And there should be nothing wrong with older bodies expressing their eroticism. You know, that's part of life. It reminds us that we might have our genital prime earlier in our lives, but our sexual prime is later in life when we're more honest, we're more confident, we're more authentic. That's the hope. Our bodies might be not at their sexual prime anymore, but our psychological and our emotional sexual truth should be and can be and will be. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to be talking about some interesting facts and myths about kissing and then winding down the show talking about sex toys. That's what we do here at Loveline. We're diversified. Question of the night, as always, up on our Loveline AG page in the stories. And uh, then we'll be closing out with the DM. So if you got a DM for us, drop it on our Loveline AG page in the stories and uh, head on over to wearechannelq.com. You can check out past episodes of Loveline. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Oh, unexpected facts about kissing. Interesting stuff. Kissing seems to be one of those things that you don't talk enough about. People will talk about whether or not someone's a good kisser or they want to kiss someone, but otherwise it's kind of just ignored. We don't really dig deep into things like that. I love dropping deep into things. Um, we take certain things for granted. And I think part of being an adult, a healthy adult, part of mental health, but also part of just sexual health is... Um, 
checking in with yourself. I'll say this to nauseam that mental health is really about authentically being able to be yourself, being in safe places, spaces, and in safe relationships where you can be your authentic self, where you don't have to go along with what's expected. And that's part of, again, mental health and sexual health is to be able to know who you are, what you like, what you don't like, being able to set those boundaries. The two words we use are voice and choice. Voice meaning you can speak up and vocalize what you want, what you don't want, and that it will be heard, it will be honored, and choice, voice and choice. That's also how we work through historical trauma. And that's also how we know for in healthy relationships. If you're in a relationship with someone where you don't have voice and choice, you don't really get to decide for yourself and you can't speak up and have it honored, valued, respected, then you're in a toxic relationship. And that's a sign that maybe it's time to do some work or time to move on. So voice and choice is huge. And we, everyone's different. We make so many assumptions about what we are interested in because we're taught to believe that. Kissing's one of them. Let's start just by saying not everyone loves to kiss and that's surprising. Well, of course, no, of course, nothing. I want everyone to always think, of course, nothing. Of course, everyone's different is the only more, you know, uh, ongoing universalized concept, but not everyone loves to kiss. In fact, and this is, I'm looking at some studies right here, less, ready for this? Less than half of the world's cultures, 46%, enjoy locking lips for the sake of romance. Less than half. So sit with that. Let's just say half. So 50% are down, 50% aren't. It's probably surprising for a lot of people because for many, that's a way to say hello. For many, that's the way to begin or end a date. For many, that's how some form of affection or eroticism begins is kissing, but not everyone enjoys it. And not everyone has even been given the consciousness to check in on whether or not they enjoy it because they assume I should. Or of course I do. Well, maybe not. Maybe that's part of some of that discomfort with intimacy. So ask yourself, is that something I enjoy? What else might I not enjoy that I've been going along with because I think I have to, right? Not everyone enjoys it. That doesn't mean we might not do it anyway. And that's also part of it. Is it's okay to do things for the sake of the other within a safe, healthy context? If dating isn't something that really feels bad for you, but it's not something that's eh, really important, maybe go along with it and do it for a partner, right? Because that's part of being in a relationship sometimes is extending ourselves and providing you know, what's, what's best for others. Um, What's interesting is I'm looking at yet another study and they were looking at different cultures, 146 different cultures, Middle Easterners ranked as the most prevalent romantic kissers, followed by the Asian culture at 73%. Um, so a little bit of some stereotypes probably woven in there, but it's based on a study. So I'm hoping they did some questions, but um, so interesting because again, we assume so many things. Um, Here's another really interesting kissing fact. And go test this. I love when people test out these stats. So they, a study looked at this. This was done in 2016. <laughs> that the per, depending on who it is you're going to be kissed by, you turn your face in a different direction. I'm laughing because I'm going to totally test this. So for instance, if it's a romantic encounter, someone you're romantic with, most likely you turn your head to the right. You offer the right cheek. However, if you're kissing someone that's non-romantically driven, like a family member, one of your children, you tend to pivot to the left. You give them the left cheek. <laughs> Go test it, but you can't be in your head when you do it. So maybe it's better to watch someone else do it because they're not going to be tracking that. Um, that's right. This was a study in 2016, and um, they looked at it, hundreds of photos of people kissing. Uh, now, of course, there's the theoretical neurological explanation, which is um, left brain's reward system, right? And people are then going to, and that's connected to the right side, 
actually, people don't know that, left brain, right side. And so they're turning to the right, expecting that reward, right, of the kiss um, and vice versa. Now, some people's brains are in the inverse. Not everyone's right brain is right brain. Some people, it's reversed. And the whole right brain, left brain concept is also not 100% true. It's not so bilateral in that way. But nonetheless, very interesting. So that's another thing to track. Not only do you like kissing, but what side of your face do you offer romance versus non-romance? So everyone, everyone's out there kind of, I'm, I'm trying to think about it right now. I'm trying to imagine. And it kind of feels pretty honest. I, I'm swooping in to give the right side if I'm, if I'm really feeling comfortable and romantic. Where the left feels kind of harder. The left turn feels more boundaried to me, more defining. More interesting facts about kissing. Um, I, I love all this. Animals. Yep. A lot of animals have very similar forms of affection, sensuality, and eroticism as humans. And um, we often look at the bonobos. They're a form of chimp. It's so fascinating how we look to them, but that's because they're very, very demonstrative and expressive and passionate. <laughs> For another show, we'll talk about how much so, <laughs> because it's quite fascinating. Very, very sex positive, body positive group, read between those lines. Um, so for chimps, smooching is less about romance and more about reconciliation. So yeah, the bonobos and a lot of chimps are seen using forms of eroticism as a way to reconnect, soothe frustration and conflict, um, forgiveness. So it's really reconciliatory. It's a mouthful of a word. Um, and some of the primates are different, but the bonobos, uh, yeah, very much in that way. They use it almost as like a handshake. Yeah. They can still use kissing in a romantic way, but it's just a way to kind of like say hello, ease social tensions, et cetera, et cetera. I know. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk more about kissing stats, interesting information about kissing. Uh, question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. So uh, weigh in on that. And uh, later in the show, we'll be doing some DMs. So if you've got a DM for us, please drop in our DMs on our Loveline IG page. And if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, they're all there. Go over to wearechannelq.com. Scroll down to the bottom. You'll see my little face. Click on it. All the shows are there. The little tags kind of explaining what they are. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about uh, unexpected, surprising facts about kissing. I know, we just assume everyone enjoys everything, something as subtle and basic as kissing. But in fact, we learned uh, almost half of people, not such a big fan. Now there's a multitude of factors as to why that may be. It might be too close, too intimate, they're not familiar with it. Could be related to trauma, intimacy, anxiety, you know, some concern around germs, whatnot. It is what it is, but that's what I think is really beautiful about intimacy and affection, is we can learn a lot about ourselves, where our work is, right? We just have to sit in why is that. So anyway, talking about why not everyone loves loves a kiss, we also talked about how we turn and offer a different side of our face. It's neurologically driven, you know, depending on whether or not we're seeking romance, give them that right side. Uh, or we give them the left side, which is a little bit more of a boundary side. We offer that up to non-romantic kisses. Check it out, see how it feels for you. And then we're also just talking about animals. Um, they use, they use uh, sensuality and eroticism for a lot of different things. Uh, all right. So <clears throat> now we're moving forward. This next one, uh, not shocking, but bums me out. Uh, anything that's very gendered bums me out because that means it's not honest when we're doing things because we've been trained to do that because of our 
anatomical presentation. I'm a boy. I'm a girl. That's why I feel like I have to do this. That means we're moving away from mental health. It's not honest or authentic. It's rooted in anxiety. It's rooted in just trying to be normal. We have to step outside of that. I tell people that that want love, care, and sexuality in their lives. I'm like, you have to be willing to seek it, initiate it, and get outside of, but I'm a boy, but I'm a girl. I'm mask, I'm femme, I'm butch. None of those factors matter. Live in truth. Who are you? What are you seeking? How can you get there? Uh, this, you know, part of the study looking at how men, men are traditionally the one who's the people who first initiate kissing, uh, looking at films as well. Um, and that's where some of the study was done. I mean, that, that's not as meaningful to me, but, uh, looking at married couples, they saw that men were 15 times more likely than their wives to initiate kissing. Now, that's interesting. Um, what year was that? 2017 surprised a little bit. You know, we often think that men are intimacy avoidant, but also a lot of male identified people, male presenting people, butch people often carry the weight and expectation to be the initiator. They're trained to believe that they're going to be the hypersexual one, but also that they need to assert. It's unfortunate because that leaves people that are femme, female, or, or, you know, woman identified as feeling as though they have to be passive, that there's something bad or wrong. Um, that it's aggressive if they assert an interest in whatever we're talking about. And I want to, I want to bounce that out. If you want within a consensual safe relationship, if you want to kiss your partner, I want you to feel safe doing so regardless of gender. I want everyone regardless of their gender presentation and expression to feel like they can be themselves and as assertive as they want to be. So let's, let's kind of neutralize that. Um, this final one, not a shocker. I think this is something that comes up a lot. I think it's something that a lot of us are culturally very sensitive to. Um, bad kissers. The fact that for many, a bad kiss makes it a deal breaker. Yep. Whether we're talking about, um, yeah. So looking at a study, this is an old study. This is from uh, 2009. It's looking at how on a first date, a couple's first kiss can often lead to the relationship not even getting off the ground. Uh, based on a sample of college students, which by the way, most studies are done on college students, which is not the most ideal because you can't apply that then to adults. They're college students. They're in the age bracket they're in. They're thinking about and prioritizing what they are. You cannot necessarily apply that to adults. So I always have an issue with that a little bit. Researchers found that women, um, again, doesn't call out whether they're cis or trans, but this is from 2009. Uh, we still don't really do that. We need to, that women placed much importance on kiss quality and satisfaction. Uh, won't engage in sexual encounters without it. Whereas men tended to not make kissing a prerequisite, nor did they ha mind having sex with bad kissers. <laughs> <clears throat> Another study, uh, this one from 2016, found that 20% of Australians, I love how specific it is, said that they would break up with someone over their kissing style and how it feels. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's both. Not everyone has had the same sexual experiences as others. Look, romance, affection, sexuality, it's a developmental thing that we have to go through. The more of it we do, the better we get, the more confident. I want people to have a lot of experience. Um, that's what we're supposed to be doing in our adolescence and youth when we're of age is having a lot of exploration around sex and romance. But um, I appreciate where chemistry and compatibility is really meaningful, especially with monogamy being so centered that if this is going to be the person who's going to be my sole outlet for affection and sex, I want to make sure it's, it feels good, right? It's something I want to enjoy. I don't want to sit in the lack of that. But I also want to remind people that that can grow and change. We have to be willing to weigh in on because even if just not the kissing, other things sexually and romantically and intimacy wise, letting people know whether or not you love your feet touched or your back rubbed 
letting people know what you're interested in, in terms of the bedroom, letting people know, you know, all sorts of things, how much closeness or distance you want. And so we have to be able to talk about those things. And so if the kissing isn't feeling great, there has to be space in a very loving, compassionate way to discuss how it feels. You know, it's not that someone's a bad kisser, although I know people use words like that. It's that some people kiss differently than what you prefer. And that's what it really comes down to. There is no right way. There might be the generalized, most preferred way right? But people are allowed to kiss the way they kiss. And so it's okay for us to lovingly weigh in on what feels best for us. But you're not right or wrong. They're not right or wrong. It's just talking about what we what we desire and what feels best. So difficult conversations are important. But um, yeah, kissing. I know it's usually our first entry point into that. We learn a lot about ourselves and the other. All right, y'all. That is that. Coming up next, we are going to be sliding into those DMs. So stick around for that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we are back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Slide into our DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. This Valentine's Day, we aren't sliding into DMs, we're gliding into them. That's because Astroglide is here with a dozen different personal lubricants for whatever or whoever you want to get into this month. From self-love to an intimate night with your loved one, Astroglide can help you surpass your intimate expectations. Tonight's question is, hey, Dr. Chris, First, I really love listening to your show, so thank you for the topics and the advice. Thank you. I wanted to know if anyone else on your show, or you, has felt less safe in the recent weeks. For example, before the pandemic, I would go out with my girlfriend, and we would both hold hands, and I felt like we could be a lesbian couple in public and not fear for our lives. Now, I must refuse to hold her hand in public, and when she calls me babe or something in the store, I cringe because I'm scared and I don't want to fight anyone or anything. Am I just being overly paranoid? I actually really like this question. I think a few things are going on. I think our lives being changed in the way they have has uh, made us a little more fragile and weakened us. That's like my global starting point. I really have seen that. We don't have access to our self-care practices. We don't have our normal distractions. And a lot of us aren't able to participate in the parts of our lives that really make us feel strong and robust and confident. So I do think at our core, a lot of us are feeling weakened. And then a lot of us are further weakened because maybe we're worrying about employment, healthcare, education, finances, and that's gonna also target our foundation, right? Because our mental health is impacted by the context of our lives. And we're talking about a mental health and what you're bringing up. So we're wrapped up in the world feeling unsafe in general because of COVID, right? Then we're missing out on all the structures in our lives that make us feel robust and give us joy. And then we're dealing with our own personal issues around maybe finance, identity tied to career and all of that, right? Um, And then I think we have to also add this other intersectional thread of we've just seen a lot of violence at the hands of white patriarchal hetero republic in America. Like a lot of people are now afraid and have always been afraid of the American flag. It represents Trump's America, which is racism. It's bigotry. It's homophobia. And we've seen these people very active and violent anti-maskers attacking people, Republicans, uh, storming the Capitol. None of that makes someone of an exploited marginalized identity feel strong or cared for or supported. So it's very understandable that someone who's black or someone who's of color and or someone who's queer is not or trans is not moving through the world feeling safe in their identity or their body because of all these different forces. And so a good conversation maybe is to just talk to your girlfriend and just bring this up. 
I've been talking about this, how I feel different in the world as a result of all that's happened. And I was talking on my Twitter about how seeing an American flag makes me feel anxious and scared. It just doesn't feel like a symbol of anything that I feel proud of. And it's impacted my own sense of nationalism, which I was never into nationalism anyway. Um, but because I have more of a global responsibility where I care for everyone, not these arbitrary defining lines of state or country or continent. Uh, I want everyone to get their needs met, but it's very understandable. We're just not feeling at our best or our most robust. And resilience is really hard in times like this because the things that tend to help us with that, we don't have access to. So talk to your girlfriend about it, but more importantly, just normalize it in yourself. Say, it's okay that I feel scared right now. The world is actually scary. <laughs> like it is, I can't tell you it's not. You're not catastrophizing. It's not a cognitive distortion. We are watching it actively on our news. And don't forget, we're watching gay people still get beat up around the world and murdered. We just watched a story of uh, to a gay couple or a proposed gay couple getting caned. I think it was like 70 hits for being gay, for engaging in gay, gay love. So these are real things. So honor where you're at, you know? It's okay if you don't feel safe and you don't want to hold hands in that moment. Say, not right now, you know, honor that. Or look around and say, you know, maybe I want to work on feeling safe in this space. Maybe I want to work on reclaiming this space, refining my power and not being afraid. And I will grab my girlfriend's hand, you might say, in a coffee shop or on the street and say, I refuse to feel unsafe, you know? So there's different routes. You can honor it and just work on letting your regulation come back as the world shifts and changes or go against it and say, I want to step into my power. I don't want to live in this fear, but both are honest. You know, anyone gay in our culture in this homophobic white supremacist patriarchal culture is going to have internalized homophobia, but, it, but I hate even using that word because it implies it's irrational or pathological. We live in a homophobic culture. All gay people understandably would have threads of anxiety and fear. Like that's real. And the straight world needs to prove otherwise. It's not your job to do that work. The straight world needs to prove that. So straight people, I put this DM on your shoulders, start to make the world less homophobic, start to create the world that makes this person feel safer because they're just trying to live their life. And straight people are the ones that have created homophobia and maintain it. And it's not gay people's work to work on their internalized as much as it's for straight people to remove homophobia. So there's my answer. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to talk about the important topic of sex toys. Yes, you're going to learn a lot. It's something to think about, especially when we're spending our hard-earned money on these bad boys. But it's an important part of sexual health. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about sex toys. That's right. Getting into the second half of the show. That's when things get a little a little juicier. So it's time to put the kids to bed, turn the radio off, sneak into your room, put on the headphones, whatever it is. We're talking about sex toys. Why? Well, a lot of reasons why. We talked on an earlier show about how uh, there are record numbers of sales in sex toys right now. Why? Well, we're home. <laughs> we're home with ourselves. For a lot of people, thankfully, hookup culture has been put on pause, but people still want to have a phenomenal sex life just with themselves. I think it's great for us always to be exploring with toys. Why? Because it reminds us that sex is more than just penetration with a partner. It reminds us that our entire body has the capacity to give us pleasure. We can use a vibrator on our thighs, under our scrotum, on our chest, anywhere. I like the expansiveness of a sex toy. It tells us that we're not dependent upon penetration or erections, that you can have same sex, opposite sex, non-penetrative sex. We need to be normalizing that. Why? As we age, we'll be losing erectile capacities. That's right. That's normal and healthy for your erections to not be as on demand, not as solid, not as firm, not last as long. That is healthy. That's normal. We have to learn how to work with that and allow that. Too many people come into my office thinking it's a 
a problem to be cured. Disappointments are going to occur, right? Also, sometimes we have mood issues, personality issues. We're depressed. We're taking medication. We've lost someone. We're stressed at work. All these things that make us maybe not able, interested, or willing to show up in the ways we have traditionally. Sex toys are a way for us to continue to have pleasure with ourselves and our partners. The partner wants penetration and we can't offer it because we are not someone who was born with a penis or our erections don't do what we want. We can use sex toys. Thank God for them. Because remember, what's the point of sex? Fun. <laughs> and we can have fun with that. And if sex for you isn't about fun, it's about doing it the way you think it needs to be done for it to be correct or complete, you have some maturing to do. That's a sexually immature perspective that there's only one right way and it has to be that way. Because sexual health is about being creative, being fluid, being honest, being in the moment. We're trying to be body positive and that means letting your body do what it's asking to do and honoring that, right? We're not forcing our bodies anymore. It's 2021, we're all about sex and body positivity. So owning a sex toy should be something we don't have shame about. It should be quite the opposite. And our sex phobic, sex negative culture, especially for people that are female identified or female presenting, it's a really radical, empowering thing to be like, I'm a sexual being. Look, I have sex toys. I don't need to hide them. I don't need to lie about it. We need to be openly able to walk into the sex store and purchase. I want people to openly be able to talk about masturbating and the sex they're having. We need to get more familiar and comfortable with sex, not less. Always with consent. But when we're talking about things, verbal, verbal expression is different from, different from physical consent, different. And we have to be able to openly talk about, I'm very sex positive. My boundaries are such that I talk openly about sex. That's my boundaries. It might not be comfortable with someone else's boundaries and they need to go take care of themselves around that. But to be in my world, we talk openly about bodies and sex because there's nothing bad, negative, or traumatic in that discussion. If people are triggered, then they need to be, that's the trigger warning. People need to go prepare themselves and to deal with that. We have to be able to enter into these conversations. That's the work. It's also part of the sexual healing process. We have to be able to encounter sexuality. It's everywhere. But for many, sex toys is a really powerful way for them to reclaim their sexuality, saying, I don't need a partner. That's why it's so feminist. I don't need a partner. I can have sex and pleasure and penetration with myself. Also pushing back on capitalism. I'm spending my money on something that's just about me. It's just about fun and pleasure. It doesn't have anything productive tied to it, right? It's also sex positive because you're, you're extending your sexuality. There's something in your hand that concretizes it, right? That shows the world, even if it's just privately in your room. But you take the control back and we're in a pandemic. Sex and masturbation are great ways to self-soothe. It's a great coping mechanism. We're stressed, we're tired, we're depressed. I want people taking that time. I'm telling them every day they need to do self-care. Sex toys is a great way to do that. It's a great way to do self-care. Why? It's joy and pleasure. It's rooted in rest. Maybe you're not doing as much work. You're letting the toy. It's also meditative. You're go zoning out, going into, it's a right brain activity. It's like yoga or other forms of meditation. You're just sitting in your body and you're sitting in the pleasure. There's no goal. There's no necessary outcome. You're just on this journey. You're just spending time with yourself. That's what it's all about spending money on yourself like that. Um, in the next segment, we're going to talk about storage, purchase, use, safety. But I just wanted to open up by normalizing this. I want everyone to ask themselves, why am I not willing to take the time, energy, or money to purchase something that's just for me and just for my pleasure? And maybe I'll welcome my partner into that. We can use it together, right? Where they can be brought in. It can be an extension of them. But it expands. It reminds us that there's so much more to sex than just what our two or three or four or five bodies, depending on how many people you bring into your bedroom, can create. And I love that. It, it, it awakens new areas. It helps us have new areas touch that generally we ignore. And it's safe to do it with yourself first. 
with your own hands, with your own eyes, seeing your body, seeing your body receive and give pleasure, watching yourself in the mirror, using a toy, right? Realizing I'm a full sexual being because we tend to, with partners, shrink, hide, get more quiet, tighten up. We don't tend to vocalize and get loud and let loose and just let ourselves be because we're, we're worried about the gaze. How am I being perceived? The gaze is in G-A-Z-E, not G-A-Y-S. Worried about our partner's gaze upon us. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? Takes us out of our bodies and into our heads. Makes us less pleasure driven, right? Creates a lot of disappointments. We're going to come back, talk about, uh, talk more about sex toys, safety, storage, all the important points. Question night, as always, up on our Love Line IG page, weigh in on that. And then we'll be closing out the show with some DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're continuing our discussion about the importance of sex toys. That's right. They're on the rise, especially vegan ones. We reported on that, uh, I think it was earlier this week. Nah, it all blends in together at this point. Uh, anyway, in the segment prior, we're talking about the importance of it. It's about autonomy, right? It's one of the most feminist autonomous things in the world, getting a sex toy, because you're saying I don't need a partner, especially in heterosexual dynamics. You don't need even need a man that sex and pleasure is something that we can generate with ourselves for ourselves. We don't need a partner also normalizes the idea that we don't need erections and penetration because sex is bigger than that. And at times in our lives due to illness, aging, disability, all sorts of different factors, we might not want penetrative sex. Some people, their sexual orientation is being a side, which means they're not a top or bottom. And being a top or bottom also is about heterosexual relationships as well. Not every butch person or male identified person is a top. Some men are bottoms. Some straight men are bottoms. They are passive. They are receptive. And uh, straight people need to know that. Gay people need to know that too, that not everyone's a top or a bottom. Some people don't want penetration at all. And someone's presentation or gender presentation doesn't speak to the role they'll be in sex. And that's what's confusing for some straight couples. Gay worlds, they have a little more familiarity with versatility, but in straight couples, they assume the girl's receptive in the bottom and the guy's the top and the initiator. It's not true. And that fouls a lot of couples up. The female will say, why isn't my husband initiating sex or more assertive? Because that's not his orientation. And you need to find someone who is that way, or you need to learn how to step into your assertion, right? Ask for what you want, get your needs met. Um, it's called being sexually honest. We can't be living in the fantasy of how things should be or how we want them to be. We have to live in the reality of who we are and our partners. I work with some of those couples. They bring their partner in and they're like, make them a different sexual being. And I say, I can't, but I can work with you on learning how to accept who they are, working around it or making better and new decisions. It's a really powerful moment that occurs in all relationships when we go up against the limits of humanity, you know, and uh, busting through the fantasy of what we thought we were going to have or who we thought or wanted our partners or selves to be. But anyway, getting back to sex toys specifically, listen, uh, there's a lot of materials out there. Sex toys are not regulated by the FDA, surprising to some. It falls under the category of novelty. So it's wild, wild west out there. Uh, all the materials are not safe. And when we're using something on ourselves, putting it inside of our bodies, we want to make sure it's a product that is built for that, something non-porous. So the safest materials are going to be silicone, steel, and glass often more expensive, but yes, we want to spend money on something like this because some materials will erode and fall apart due to heat, consistent use. If we're talking about something with a motor or battery and the more money we spend and the better the material, sometimes that can really pan out. Not always, but generally. So pay attention to that. Also storage. You want to store them separately. Things like rubber and silicone will react when stored together. So store your sex toys in a way that they're not touching each other. People don't realize that. It's important. Keep them out of the heat, out of the sun. Put them in a drawer. That's why we do that. Not because of shame. There's no shame in being a sexual being. We all are, most of us. Uh, but make sure the materials aren't touching. 
Also make sure you're cleaning them after every use. People will get lazy. Making sure you're also cleaning them after use with each partner and also after each use on different entry point. Some people try to double dip, not realizing they need to clean after use in one area, moving to another insertion. Uh, condoms are great for putting over sex toys to make that easier, quicker, cleaner, and safer. We definitely don't wanna just be grabbing random objects that can create small tears or abrasions in which infections can get in, right? Or unsafe materials being inserted inside of us that can break down. Of course, we have to pay attention to the lubes we use. Water-based tends to be the best. You definitely don't wanna use a silicone oil-based lube with a silicone product that will eat away at it, including condoms, right? So we wanna be very thoughtful. It's a whole new brave world, but the numbers are up. I'm thankful for that. You know, this is part of self-care, pleasure and joy. And that's left out. Some people's self-care is way too focused on productivity-based things, things that are depleting energy-wise. Most self-care is gonna be things that require no energy, but it's always things that make us feel better off after. And that's why we commonly use things like baths, naps. But sex and masturbation are absolutely powerful forms of self-soothing, self-care. They're great coping mechanisms when we had a rough day, when we feel lonely, detached, isolated. And uh, solo sexuality, very important. We don't wanna shame it. A lot of people, it's kind of shutting down, but it's a really beautiful way to bring that joy and that self-care back into your lives. So don't, don't, don't knock it. And um, people are self-isolating, you know? and we're getting a little too familiar with some of the flatness, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be. And that's why this is one of those reminders to do a mental health check-in. There's so many resources that are available with ourselves, from ourselves, that can still be meaningful. We're talking, we're talking about things like touch hunger and touch deprivation. And that's why we can do things like giving self-massage. That's a way to stimulate ourselves. And I don't necessarily mean in the sexual way, I just mean in terms of contact because we talked about this before as well, how horrifying it was that some of us are going, because of, understandably because of the pandemic, but we're going days, weeks, and even months without being touched by another person, but we can still do self-massage to keep our body alive, right? To keep ourselves being engaged. But we have to be willing to slow down and carve out the time, which in our busy, busy world with all that's going on, a lot of people don't value that or they're not able to do that. So this is a little bit of a moment to give permission to self and other to prioritize and focus on that, you know? Um, we'll be talking more about that, you know, because a lot of the coping mechanisms that people are leaning on, like the drinking and the drug use, is maybe gonna create larger problems uh, in the moment, but also down the road. And so when we talk about other forms of self-care, such as solo sexuality, sex toy use, and things like that, we're not worried about that because that's something that we can always rely upon and engage in, right? All right, y'all, uh, coming up next, uh, we're gonna be doing some DMs and question of the night. So uh, weighing on that, question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page in the stories and DMs come from our Loveline IG page. If you got a question for us, drop it in there. Always anonymous and confidential. Whatever you're wondering about, someone else might be too. So you're helping out other people. And as always, if you wanna check out some past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by heading on over to wearechannelq.com. Scroll on down to the bottom. You'll see my little face and Loveline. Click on it and you'll see all of our past episodes. You can binge listen, post and share. Uh, we'll be back here listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, we're in the second hour. So the kids are away. This is adults only disclaimer talking about sex explicitly, but more importantly, we're talking about pee. <laughs> 
Can you, should you, have you peed in the shower? That's right. I was looking at an article over the weekend. It was making me laugh. And I started texting my friends. I said, do you pee in the shower? <laughs> have you peed in the shower? It's such a, it's a funny thing when you ask certain questions because they have such a cultural vulnerability to them. And my friends are uh, very sex positive, body positive, and they're familiar with me asking questions like that. So for us, it's very much within the range of what we feel comfortable with and very expected to get an early morning text from me asking someone, you know, how often they masturbate, um, how large their penis is, whether or not they pee in the shower. I talk very openly with everyone in my life about these things, you know, because uh, I like to have honest conversations about things. You know what I mean? We talk about uh, body shame that we carry, you know, in a healthy way and, and things that we, you know, have concern about things we wish changed and it's a really beautiful thing i recommend that I, I love when people are in friendships where they can do that look we even talked about the phenomenon of uh guys sending nudes to each other uh not out of a form you know not in terms of eroticism straight guys even gay guys just to just to share their bodies and to say is this a good angle i'm sending this to someone what do you think of this picture and women doing the same um i love that i want to live in a world where within you know within the bounds of consent we can Talk about that. You know, some people do need to have that friend that they can send the new to saying, is this a good pick? How do I look? How's my butt in this shot? You know I mean, is this a good angle? And then we can be that friend that's like, yo, dude, close the lid to the toilet or like flush your toilet. Because you know, you see these stories of people sending any kind of photo, but sexting as well. And you see like just strange things left out or things that are a real turn off. And <laughs> you gotta have friends that can, you can talk about those things with. Anyway, back to, is it sanitary to pee in the shower? Um, what was funny is looking at the article, but also looking at people's comments and they're saying, yo, we do not all pee in the shower. The toilet is right there. I mean, it was really funny to hear the stories, but let's get into it. So what is pee? Pee is a whole lot of different things, uh, things that have been broken down. I'm not going to go through the list, uh, but know that there's a lot of different forms of waste in there, ammonia, creatine, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, also if you're taking certain medications or vitamins, right? things that are water soluble, like vitamin C, you'll often see that secreted in your pee. So there's a lot of different fluids in there and they travel from your kidneys through your, you know, different pathways, bladder, uh, pee hangs out there, right? Until you're ready to let loose. So there's a lot of things that are collected in that. Now, fun fact, because this is something, this is along the lines of the whole dog's mouths are cleaner than ours. Da, da. No, they're not. We've debunked that. Here's another one. Pee isn't, pee is not sterile. And we, we hear those stories, pee sterile, you can drink it if you're around an island. No, pee's not sterile. Uh, it is not. We used to think so. Uh, however, as, <laughs> well, it's because we used to think that the urinary tract was sterile, right? Now we know that um, looking at the bladder microbiome, bacteria can live in that, in that area. Bacteria's in there, y'all. And that's also gonna be along with, if you have any health issues, you know, UTI, urinary tract infection, uh, that bacteria can also get into your pee, right? So the whole thing is that that's all in there. So, hey, if you live alone and you want to pee in the shower, cool, just clean it out, especially if someone else, you know, might be climbing in. But if you live with other people, yeah, you should use the toilet. No one wants to step in that afterwards. Not the smell, not the sight, not the bacteria. Now, I jokingly say, do what you want. It's your shower. But if you have any cuts, tears, abrasions on your feet, your leg, your knee, depending on what you're doing with the pee, that could get in there. Bacteria can get in open areas on the skin. So don't pee on your leg. But I, I, you know, when I was asking people if they pee in the shower, I didn't think to ask, do you pee on yourself when you're in the shower or just into the drain? Yeah, I guess I needed to clarify. But fun aside, there's no massive, serious, wild health risk. Um, but most people don't like the idea 
of using someone else's shower and thinking about the fact that maybe they used it as a toilet, especially because most showers are in a bathroom that has a toilet very nearby. Now I know we are a very lazy culture and uh, once we're in there, we don't want to get out. But, um, you know, my toilet's actually not far from the shower, so it's not a big deal. And I always lay a towel down because I like to moisturize right away. It's a whole thing that goes on in my shower use. But, um, yeah, there it is. We got to talk about these topics. I mean, here's the thing. We laugh about things like this. And for some people, they might think it's um, a little too edgy. But it's, it's like I say to couples in my private practice when I'm doing couples or sex therapy. We have to be able to talk about honest things. We have to be able to talk about our bodies, right? Uh, even if we're talking about sexuality, uh, body fluids are released at times. Uh, accidents occur. People release air and gas. And so we have to be able to talk about it. Cause if we can't talk about these things, we can't talk about other things. If we can't talk about peeing in the shower, I'm nervous that we can't talk about and disclose STDs and STIs. If you can't talk to your friends about whether or not they pee in the shower, are you able to talk to them about maybe where they, if they go to a clinic or if you can go get tested together or concern you have about safer sex practices, right? We need to be able to talk about these things. They're, they're occurring. We're around them. We're impacted by them. We encounter them. There's no reason to have any shame or guilt about it. You know, we talk about even with children from a really early age, talk to them about their anatomy, use the accurate names, make them confident and able to talk about and express and learn boundaries around that as well. And this is all just part of it, you know? So it's funny, it's punchy, it's edgy, but it's just also part of normalizing sexual health, which is tied to physical health and mental health, right? Anywho, that's that. Coming up next though, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. If you have a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page in the DMs. Uh, anonymous, confidential, we're here. We want to answer your questions. And also, if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, go on over to wearechannelq.com. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Slide into our DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. This Valentine's Day, we aren't sliding into DMs, we're gliding into them. That's because Astroglide is here with a dozen different personal lubricants for whatever or whoever you want to get into this month. From self-love to an intimate night with your loved one, Astroglide can help you surpass your intimate expectations. Tonight's DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Brandon, and I met this guy on Tinder last month. See? You can find love on these apps. I'm telling you, everyone I'm working with that wants love or sexuality is on these apps. Why? Millions of people are on them. New people are joining every day. And whether we like it or not, it is part of the new world. And right now, while in pandemic, honoring all the regulations, we can be finding love and romance beautifully. Yes, you can build romance from relationship. It's a different trajectory. That doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. The way we've been doing it prior to COVID isn't the right way. It's the way that we were doing it because of what we had access to. It is okay to have your first couple of dates on FaceTime. It is okay to have your first couple of sexual experiences on FaceTime. It is okay to meet someone for the first couple of dates, masked, distanced outside for a short period of time to meet each other. That is okay. It's just different. Feel free to wait, but you don't have to. There's a lot of amazing people that are single or lonely and they're looking to get out there. So don't write it off as this person's reminding us, you know? So this person's saying, um, met someone on Tinder talking almost every day. Love it so far. Right. Uh, we seem to have really great connection. Cool. <laughs> Wait, I'm waiting for the butt. He lives about an hour away from me, so I asked him if we could meet up for coffee. See, so far, this is great. <laughs> he told me no because of the pandemic. I get it. I get it. Because again, remember, 
outdoors, masked six feet apart, isn't 100% risk-free. It's just lower risk. And everyone has to decide the level of risk they're willing to take while considering the impact on others. But that's the bare minimum we're asking is if you're going to you know, go out there and do whatever, six, you know, mask six feet away. And also people are sometimes living around others that are high risk. And they're saying, look, I don't know you. Dating can be done in other ways or it can wait, you know? Okay. Uh, he said no because of the pandemic, which I understand and respect. Good. You have to. Because that's consent. He set a boundary. He does not consent. And remember, you show your boundaries and your mental health when someone sets one based on your response to it. He said no. And so your answer should just be, I totally get it. I understand. So what else could we maybe do for our date instead? And you have a wealth of options. FaceTime. You can see each other. It's safer. There's nothing wrong with that. And that might be the first couple ways you have your date. Anyway, my question is though, how are we supposed to connect with people in person during this pandemic? And if we can't, how are we supposed to know if someone online is worth our time or not? Well, here's the answer. You can't. You can't. Uh, some people's questions are trying to find a loophole around. You can't. You cannot meet people in theory face-to-face right now. You can't. You will have to meet them and get to know them via technology. How do they know if it's worth their time? Well, you tell me. Get on FaceTime. If they seem attractive and the chemistry's there and you like their personality, well, then we're good. And I know that meeting someone in real time, the chemistry is more apparent. But I promise you, you get someone on FaceTime or on the phone you will get a lot more confident in seeing them moving and seeing how they embody and their tone and their gesture and their body language. You'll get a good sense, but you're right. It's a risk. And if you're not open to that risk, then don't do it. Say, you know what? And if you're not open to that risk, get off the apps because I want most people to say what he said. But if you're, if you're interested and curious, take the time. You do have the time and energy. And that's the thing. You do have the time and energy. I do believe if I looked at your schedule, I could find a good half an hour, multiple times a week, that you have the time and the energy to get on FaceTime and to get to know this person. And you should be dating multiple people. We're not trying, we don't get into relationships immediately. Dating is meaning seeing multiple people to decide if I want a relationship with any of them. So you're thinking a little bit also in too much of a monogamous mindset. Monogamy means one option only. And so I need to make sure it's the best option. But you shouldn't even been thinking those terms. You just met this person, right? You've been talking for a month. Great, you should be talking to other people too. And then when the world opens up, you can see who you're more interested in real time. But if this person doesn't seem thus far talking every day for a month worth taking more time, well then just cut it. Tell this person, you know what? Unfortunately for me, <laughs> I don't think I have the time and energy to put into FaceTiming, getting to know you if I can't meet you in real time and move on, you know, because this person is understandably seeing the time and energy that you've put in as you communicating that you are interested. And if you're not, move on. And if you are, you make do of what we have. I can't, there's no other way around it. People have to be worth it. Look, I'm in a long distance relationship with someone who lives in another country. You do what you need to do for someone you care about. And if you're not interested, cut it loose. And if you are, you hang in there. Come on, you can do better than that. Uh, all right, y'all, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow night. Tomorrow, we're gonna be talking about mental health and depression and things to never say to someone who's struggling with their mental health. Question night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page and the story's way on that. And if you wanna check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so over at wearechannelq.com. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out and you enjoy the rest of your night.